Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books in the American West, a channel on the New Books Network of podcasts. I am your host, Stephen Hausman. I'm an assistant professor in the history department at the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. And today I'm speaking with Carla Slocum. Dr. Slocum is the Thomas Willis Lambeth Distinguished Chair of Public Policy and a professor of anthropology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she also serves as the director of the Institute of African-American Research. We're going to be discussing her latest book, Black Towns, Black Futures, The Enduring Allure of a Black Place in the American West, which came out with UNC Press in 2019. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Carla. Good to have you. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Why don't we begin first by just hearing a little bit about you. What is your background and how did you become interested in anthropology as a field of study? Wow, that's a great question. Um, One I don't get asked often, so I'm happy to answer it. I became interested in anthropology in a circuitous way. I actually did not major in anthropology as an undergraduate. I was a French major and I graduated from University of Virginia went to work for a center for political refugees in France for about a year. And it was exposure to the people who were at that center that led me to A, want to go back to graduate school and B, want to study something in a social science field, especially concerning folks from other parts of the world and who were dealing with different sorts of issues in their communities and how they were grappling with them. I mean, these were the things that I was hearing in the narratives and the stories of the people who were at the center from all different parts of the world. And I was curious about their stories and their experiences and wanting to study and learn more about that. So that's how I came to anthropology. Uh, I started looking into anthropology more as a discipline at that time and decided that that was a a good place for me to, to land, so to speak. So many people that I ask that question to really across fields and across areas of expertise, it comes down to people being fascinated by other people's stories and wanting to know more about stories of other people. And it sounds like you very much fit into that boat. 
Absolutely, 100%. Yes. And what, what brought you to this specific topic, the topic of Black towns in the American West? two answers to that question because it's a two-part question, two-part answer. First, my first major project stemming from my doctoral research was studying rural communities in the Caribbean, rural predominantly African-descended communities in the Eastern Caribbean. And I was basically looking at how communities were responding to uh, loss of a trade of an agricultural product, banana production, bananas in this in this particular case. But I became interested in looking at the economic, how people were sort of dealing with the economic stress in this community at that time. I was also taking into consideration questions of history and community and race and collective organizing in uh, trying to understand how people were responding at that time. So that gave me sort of a foundation for thinking about race, history, place, and nation, which is very much related to what I'm looking at in Oklahoma too. So one wouldn't tend to think that you can try to connect Oklahoma to St. Lucia. People, I hear lots and lots of jokes about that um, when people find out that the trajectory of my work and how I've landed in Oklahoma. However, uh, I actually think there are very clear threads of connection that may not be readily apparent, but are definitely there. And I'm heartened to see more people, not throngs, but there are a few people I can now identify who are anthropologists who have made similar kinds of uh, journeys in their, in their careers. The second part is related to a family connection, which it took me a long time to admit, probably because even though we've all spent a lot of time critiquing notions of objectivity, it's still, you know, still at least part of my training and it's still in there. And so I, I grappled for a while with not wanting this to look like it was a study about me. And I therefore often didn't admit that I had the family connection. But over time, I've learned to actually foreground that, tell that story, and actually embrace that part of it. And the family background is that I have a grandfather who was a sociologist who did his doctoral research in Black towns in Oklahoma. I came to know about that only when I was in graduate school. So although I'd grown up knowing him, I didn't know that part of his work until I was a graduate student myself. And then I just became intrigued by, by what he had done there and started to look around and learn that there had been very little, certainly anthropological research, but even very little social science research on Black towns in the American West. And I just knew that it was something I was interested and in, pulled to because I had a family connection and I was, and it also, as I said, fit well with areas that I was already studying. So my, my grandfather was there. And then by virtue of that, my mother spent her childhood growing up in some of these black towns while he was doing his research and also um, working at a historically black university 
in Oklahoma as well. Well, I was going to ask this question a little later, but since you you mentioned uh, foregrounding yourself and your family's stories in this work, uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that because, you know, I'm coming to this book as a historian. My doctoral training is all in the field of history where it's not unheard of, but it's relatively rare for the author to be such a present in the text itself. But as you said, you really do situate yourself in this book, in this text, which I, I personally really enjoyed reading. Um, but I'm curious if you could talk more about the choice to do that. And then just kind of in a general sense, what was the experience like of researching and writing this book since it was, you know, to an extent, a, a rather personal book? Yeah, uh, it's funny because... I think for some people, I haven't situated myself enough. And so I think it depends on the vantage point that you enter this scholarly work and what's your scholarly background that you bring to it. Because I think for some cultural anthropologists, people especially who are used to doing autoethnographies and that sort of thing, they have wanted to hear more about me uh, than is actually there. But then for others like you, it's it's clearly uh, there is a personal dimension to the story as well. Um, what it was like situating myself, as I said, I struggled with that in the beginning. So it was a process. There was a long, you know, there were years in the beginning where I almost never mentioned it. And sometimes I would give a talk. And then as I got questions in after the talk, the questions would lead me to mention that family connection and people were thrown like, what, you never told us this all along. And, and so it was a journey and it was a process in doing that. Um, there's the issue in, in putting myself in the text. I will say that in terms of doing the research, I always came to the communities, letting people know who I was and letting people know about my background. But one thing I admit in the book is that I might have had an over expectation of the significance of my family background to people when I came to the communities. And so for a lot of people, they, they're just, okay, it was not a big deal. It wasn't, you know, very few people peppered me with questions about who was my family and that sort of thing. They were very intrigued by it. And I say in the book that I believe part of that is because there are others like me because they're high migration communities. So there are many of us who are people or descendants of people who are no longer living in the communities, but then have a pull to come back for a number of reasons. And so I think I represented yet another person who had a pull to come back, so to speak, and engage with the communities. And so that to them was not that novel. And so that was also an experience for me was sort of dealing with that because that was different than my experience in St. Lucia in the Caribbean for my research because while I didn't have a family connection there, people always wanted to try to find one for me. They were always asking, they wanted there to be one. So this was a difference, it was a real difference. Well, let's get into the book a bit and the stories of these towns and the people who, who have lived there and who do live there. And let's just start with some, some context. Can you briefly explain the history and the origins of the black towns you describe in the American West in Oklahoma in this book? Sure, I can do that. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with black towns in Oklahoma in particular, because you know there are hundreds, maybe even over a thousand black towns across the United States, they share a variety of things in common. 
the Oklahoma black towns have some specificity also to them. So I do uh, want people to know that I'm speaking about that particular black town um, dynamic. And so black towns in Oklahoma started in the late 19th century. And by and large, they were part of the formation of what we now know as Oklahoma, but actually at the time was Indian territory. And you really have to think about black towns as part of the process of the so-called expansion into the West, the American expansion into the West, in the sense of this was a period where not just black people, but white people as well, more white people were actually forming communities across the West. It is tied to the displacement and dispossession of land for Native Americans in the area who were there on Indian territory after having been forcibly relocated from the Southeast. So black towns though were a place, were places that were started um, or that were approached as places where people could presumably live freely. Oklahoma at that point was not, did not exist, so it was not a state. There were not um, Jim Crow laws, there were not legalized segregation laws. And so people look to town formation in Oklahoma as an opportunity to create places where people could be self-sufficient, live away from racial hostility they were experiencing in the deep south and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's important to also know that black towns in Oklahoma, uh, their formation is tied to the black Native American experience in, in the region in the West as well. So there are people who are former and former enslaved um, former enslaved people of American Indian tribes that were in Indian territory who after emancipation were also looking to form community. So you have to think about their blacks who are coming up from the West, I'm sorry, who are coming up from the deep South and there were blacks who were already in the West, both of them with histories of enslavement who were starting these communities to, be, to try to be self-sufficient and free. Um, and what we also know is that the by 19 by the formation of Oklahoma early 1900s one of the first laws they created was uh, were Jim Crow laws and so that meant that this hope for freedom I like to not think that it was completely dashed and there's different perspectives on that but certainly it brought challenges for people to um, what they had imagined these communities would be um, when they first came to form them. And this book is very much about, I believe the word you use in the book is the afterlives of these towns and their continuing appeal and their continuing allure. So what are some of the ways that these black towns in the West, uh, in, in Oklahoma, have maintained their presence up through today? And there's a, a, a litany of ways that this has been the case that you describe in the book. Yeah, and that is the crux of my work. I always want to distinguish myself from historians. I don't have the expertise of a historian to be able to tell that, to tell that history story. Um, and I am very much interested in the 21st century Black town experience. And so what we know about Black towns in the 21st century and this notion of them still having an appeal or an allure is that for me, uh, based on my research, there is still a way in which the towns have, there's something attractive about them as one, Black spaces, first of all. 
Black spaces that have a particular history. They have a history that a lot of people like to connect to because it's a kind of Black triumphant story. It's a story about Black people having come together to form these communities and for a period of time no, known for having been economically vibrant and successful, known for being socially cohesive. So these are kinds of some markers of the communities that really make for a nice narrative about a Black community, especially it's a counter narrative to a more predominant one of Black impoverishment, Black criminality, et cetera, that we often tie to Black places. So there is that, that that is an appeal to them today in the 21st century, their history narrative. There's also the appeal to try to connect to them to sort of invest and I don't want to say remake them, but try to boost them. And so there are lots of people, residents in particular, who really put a lot of energy and effort into trying to build up the Blacktown economy. They are rural places. By and large, they struggle economically, just like rural places across the United States. However, they have this history, they have this history story, and that is kind of a motivator for a lot of people to want to try to invest in getting some local businesses energized and supporting the place to be not really self-sufficient, but to be energetic. And that is an appeal for people. And, and a lot I detail in the book how there are a lot of challenges to people actually succeeding at this effort, at these efforts um, in the ways that they hope to. However, it doesn't stop people from continuing to roll up their sleeves and, and keep trying. And so there are lots of stories of businesses that are started and people writing grants to try to give, bring money into the community. So there's a lot of energy for them being really small, relatively poor communities, there's a remarkable level of energy, I think, that goes into building up the economies. The other thing that I mentioned is that there is um, there's sort of a cultural dimension in the sense of they have a lot of festivals, rodeos, that sort of thing, and they're a big draw for people. And this, I argue, is a way of their um, sort of a, affirming their, their Black identity and their identity as a Black Place where Black people can connect and affirm one another. So the rodeos and the festivals are really big Black communal spaces that people are drawn to, and not just people who are in the communities, but people from all across the state of Oklahoma and often in neighboring states as well. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com 
slash NBN50 to get 50% off. As a, a historian coming coming to this book, you know, this is a book all about the importance and the power of stories to creating place. And I really, I really loved that about this, this book that, you know, stories are important. Stories are how we make sense of the world around us. And in particular in this book, you talk about uh, the role of stories of success in these places and the role that stories of success play in maintaining this kind of sense of place in these Black towns, but also some of the challenges and the problems that people face when confronted with telling these stories of success. Could you talk a little bit about what you mean there? Yes. So I would argue that the most well-known and publicly circulated story about Black towns in Oklahoma, but actually beyond Oklahoma, is the story of Blacktown success, Blacktown historic success. And the narrative highlights the vibrant businesses, the energetic economies, and, the, and just the idea of people coming together and supporting themselves as Black people, kind of having an ethos of Black community. And this is, but the economic dimension is the one that is especially highlighted. And this is a Black town history success story. And you can see it sort of, um, if you go to exhibits and museums and there's a segment on Black towns, that's the narrative you're going to see. There are signs that uh, are all over Black towns across Oklahoma, just to kind of mark them. And these were put together by the Oklahoma history um, by, by the sort of the, the arm of history and culture in Oklahoma. So the state is actually responsible for putting these, this signage up across the, the um, across black towns in the country, sorry, black towns in the state. And they tell that narrative as well. So if you're gonna read that sign, when you first enter the community, that's what you're gonna be told. And then if you go on tours, that's what you're going to be told. The story is, it's an important one because of course it does tell a positive story about black people and in a country where those stories are often hard to find, people are proud of that and happy about it, both as consumers of that narrative as well as representatives of that narrative as in terms of people who are residents in the communities. The challenge of that narrative I talk about in the book anyway, is that it leaves out some of the struggles. It leaves out, it leaves out some of the struggles that led to people actually getting those communities in the first place to want to form them. So it leaves out all the racial terror that people coming from the South endured that led them to form that. And so that part, like the Jim Crow history in the deep South that led to, you know, the majority of people that form black towns, that's written out of the story. And if it's there, it's a sentence. Um, and the much longer portion of the narrative is about the success. So it, it's just that it, 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 it's a way in which sort of nationally, it allows us not to have to talk about racism. And that's a more appealing story, especially uh, depending on who your consumer audience is. There's actually a lot of research about how tourism that is heritage tourism, tourism that is pitched for white consumers in particular um, 
tends to want to downplay racism as part of what you're going to learn when you go to a heritage tourism site. And that's what I would say is going on in Oklahoma. The irony is though, that there are actually quite a lot of black tourists who come to Oklahoma's black towns. So that's one of the challenges of the, of the, uh, the history success story. And you were, you were just talking about tourism and heritage tourism. And I'm wondering if you could talk a bit more about the role that tourism plays in these towns today. And in the book, you describe a connection between blackness, Americanness, and heritage tourism. Could you talk about that a bit? Sure. So tourism is actually very big for the towns in terms of promoting them and getting word out about them. It is not actually a moneymaker for the towns because most, if not all, of the tourism activities are generated from agencies outside of the Black towns. Now, they can be a space for people who are in the towns to sell something to tourists, it's just that they are not leading the tours themselves. There are some people in the communities who might uh, jump on a tour bus when the tour comes through their particular town and meet the tourists and talk to them and for a short space of time. But the whole sort of arc of the entire tour is not led by um, people in Black towns, by, by and large. It's not, it's not uh, 100%, but that's by and large. The question of um, a link between Americanness, Blackness, and tourism. So one of the things I talk about is one of the things I talk about is a tour um, that takes place at a historic battle site in Oklahoma, Honey Springs, and it's one of the most popular sites to visit on a Black Town tour. There's an irony to that, which is that it's put on the list of stops on a Black town tour, but you hear about the battle and you don't hear about the towns when you go on that part of the tour. So it's just decoupled from the history and the narrative about the Civil War battle. And that to me, I just found striking because the tours are on Blacktown soil or at least going through Blacktown soil to get there. You're on a Blacktown tour, but when you get to this part, you're only hearing the part about this major civil war battle. And it's almost as if this piece of important American history does not incorporate Blackness. It does not incorporate the Black town to that part of the story. So then you'll leave this battle site and then you'll stop at a Black town and you'll hear the Black town story. And so they're separated. There is a way to connect them. And I don't want to say there's no Blackness mentioned at all. So this the Honey Springs Civil War battle actually had a regiment of Black soldiers that fought in it. So they do mention that but still it's disconnected from black towns. So I find that very interesting. And that's the part that I was talking about in the book where there's sort of this separation between blackness and Americanness, especially this sort of major important American moment that is not highlighted for its relevance to black towns. And if I remember correctly, there's a similar uh, uh, sort of dynamic at play that you describe in the book surrounding a uh, Blacktown tour 
that also visits the Oklahoma City bombing site as well. That also has that kind of decoupling that you were just describing. Sure. And then that one, I make a, a slightly different analysis, but it's it's absolutely true. So one of the things that's really striking about Blacktown tours is that there are stops in Black towns, but there are some tours where stops elsewhere in not officially conventionally identified Black towns exceed the stops in the conventional Black towns. So you might stop at, uh, at the Honey Springs Battlefield. You might stop in Tulsa and visit um, downtown Tulsa. And you might stop at the bombing memorial, um, that, the site, the, the building, the state building that was bombed in 1995 and get a tour of that. And again, you're not gonna hear about black towns at that point. You know, there's sort of a, a double side to this though. On that, in that case, yes, a major American story that they're not connecting to blackness or black towns. At the same time, I do also recognize that there's this sense of black towns as being remote, as being sort of unimportant in the 21st century. They're, they're exciting and important for what they were, but not for what they are. And so to make a tour something that is exciting and something that is intriguing, there's almost a sense of you need to go elsewhere to incorporate that into it to make it a kind of appealing, appealing tour. So I do think that was partially what was going on with that tour as well. You were talking earlier about how these towns uh, maintain a sense of community today in the early 21st century. And you talked about events such as rodeos, for instance. And I believe in the book, you talk about barbecues as another example. How do these events serve as these community building, community fostering uh, events uh, uh, in, in these towns? And then as sort of a side question to that, what does the future look like in terms of both community, in terms of economics, and in terms of demographics for Oklahoma's Black towns? Yeah, um, I think those, you know, on the one hand, those events are sources of pride for people, just to put it quite simply. They feel as if they have this moment where they galvanize people together and they can also showcase for people something positive about their community. So I absolutely think that these events really matter. And when they draw in a number of people from outside, it's all the better. So there's definitely a way in which they become a way to still affirm the place, affirm the value of the place, and affirm the value of the Black place. And especially in a moment where they're not recognized for what they are conventionally, um, they have some economic challenges, and they have a narrative about what they were that was really significant these are ways in which they can showcase significance. They can showcase that we still matter, we still have energy here. And I, so I think that is one of the, the most important dimensions of it, but I will not, um, I don't want to under, I don't want to miss underscoring how this affirmation of blackness and a black place is very much intertwined in the significance of those cultural events. Yeah, I mean, there's really sort of a remarkable thread across um, 
Blacktown experiences, I think, in the ways the Blacktown activities in which there's an attempt to um, kind of showcase what a Black place can actually do, what it can achieve. And that gets back to sort of um, uh, vindicating the place and disproving some of these other narratives that might not be so affirming about Black towns. And that leads to one of my one of my last questions. Um, in you know, in the in the title of the book, you say that there is an enduring allure of a black place in the American West. And you touched on this throughout uh, our conversation today. But as a summary question, what do you see as this enduring allure of a black place in the West? Yeah. Um, I think the enduring allure is, I hope I don't sound repetitive, but I do think the enduring allure is about imagining what the communities can be and affirming the value that is actually still there now. So I do think that is an attraction. It's an attraction for the people who are there and invested in the community. And then I think it's also an attraction for those who are outside the communities, but interested in affirming a Black place. So I, I definitely think that is um, part of that enduring allure. And then one of the questions I always like to ask my guests as we as we wind down the interview is, if you were to put yourself in the shoes of one of your readers and kind of take like a bird's eye view of this text, what do you hope the one big takeaway is that a reader might come away from your book understanding or remembering several months after reading the book? Question. Um, I almost was going to say something that might sound silly. It's an overused phrasing, but um, I guess I just want to kind of say Black places matter. <laughs> um, and that might be a big takeaway because I feel like I'm writing in this book about places that for the most part have escaped the American awareness. Most of us don't know these communities actually existed. And if we do know they existed, we know we don't know a lot about what is up with them now today. And I think that folks inside the communities, folks who are residents in the community and really, you know, dug in their feet to work hard on the communities and in the communities, um, really want people to know that these are places that matter to them and should matter to others as well. So that would be my, my takeaway. As someone who recently read the book myself, I really took away, you know, the fact that this is not just a story of the past. Goodness, this is a story about the present and the future as well. I thought that you made that point in particular very abundantly clear, really. Great, great. Well, coming from a historian, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, this book has been out for a couple of years now. Uh, can we get a preview of any projects you've been working on in the interim and anything that might be coming up next for you? Uh, so I'm, I'm involved in a couple of new positions. Well, I'm in a, in a new position right now that's taking up a lot of my time and making it a little bit harder for me to get involved in some of the research interests that I have. But um, I've been working collaboratively with some folks here at UNC and elsewhere on actually something we call Mapping Black Towns. And we are just interested in digital, digitally mapping Black spaces across the United States and potentially even globally eventually. 
just to sort of demonstrate the vastness of Black presence in Black community places across the United States and elsewhere. So we're working on that. Um, actually, we have some terrific graduate students who've been taking the lead at this point and actually gathering information about all these different black places that exist, places that you, you would not, not normally have heard, not typically have heard of. Um, and we're working on the digital map as we speak about that. That sounds like an exciting project and something to keep our eye on. Excellent. Dr. Carla Slocum is the Thomas Willis Lambeth Distinguished Chair of Public Policy and is a professor of anthropology at the University of North Carolina, where she also serves as the director of the Institute of African American Research. Her latest book is Black Towns, Black Futures, The Enduring Allure of a Black Place in the American West, which came out with UNC Press in 2019. Thank you once again so much for coming on the show and speaking with me today, Carla. Thanks so much, really appreciate it. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.